monsters. They exist among us, and sometimes they win. Even the devil was an angel once. The world has its own rules, and these rules are not human. Some of us seek answers to the origin and existence of cryptids and the unexplained. Join us as we venture beyond the known and accepted boundaries. Welcome to our nightmare. I think you're going to like it. Hey folks, good evening and welcome to another episode of Fams and Monsters Radio where we explore the strange and the unexplained. I'm your host, Lon Strickler. Thanks for joining us. Uh, if you enjoy our content, then please subscribe, like, and share our presentations. And please feel free to comment. Um, Super Chat is active during the show, so you uh, wish to show your support for Fans of Monsters Radio by clicking the dollar icon under the chat. And uh, you can also support the channel by using the Buy Me a Coffee link. Uh, your consideration is very much needed and appreciated. So tonight, Preston Dennett began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and co-workers were having dramatic, uh, unexplained encounters. Since then, he has interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He is a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, and the author of 28 books and more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. Several of his books have been on Amazon's UFO bestsellers list. Preston's articles have appeared in numerous magazines, including Fate, Atlantis Rising, MUFON UFO Journal, Nexus, Paranormal Magazine, UFO Magazine, Phenomena Magazine, Mysteries Magazine, Ufologist, and others. He has appeared on numerous radio and television programs, including Midnight in the Desert, Art Bell, Coast to Coast AM, and also the History Channel's Deep Sea UFOs and UFO Honors. His research has been presented in the LA Times, the LA Daily News, the Dallas Morning News, and other newspapers. Preston has taught classes on various paranormal subjects and lectures across the United States. He currently resides in Southern California, and his website can be found at prestondennett.weebly.com. Also, Bernadette Daniel is an investigator and researcher at FAMS of Monsters 14 Research. She's joining me tonight as my co-host and will soon be premiering her own show, A Paranormal Life, on FAMS of Monsters Radio. So, Preston, thanks for joining me tonight. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So, before we start out, I, I did want to ask you a question about something that recently came up. And I, I don't know if you heard about it, but the Calvine UFO photo from Scotland in 1990, you aware of that? I am. Yep. That's all the buzz right now. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I wrote an article about it today. Uh, it's kind of interesting because it's one of those deals that it was apparently it was being it was been classified, um, had been classified and uh the British uh, Ministry of Defense had been holding it away from public eye, but somehow it got leaked. Do you know the whole story behind that? No, I don't. Um, I, I can't say I know the whole story now. 
Yeah, it's an interesting photograph. Um, I mean, it looks like maybe a, what people consider a regular saucer-type craft. But the fact that it was taken in 1990, been held out of the public eye for all that period of time, then it was actually leaked somehow. Then a, um, a journalist got wind of it, and then the Daily Mail actually did a, published it in, the, in their newspaper in recent weeks. But, uh, yeah, it's an interesting photograph. It was a photo of part of a, an airplane that was uh, apparently trailing this thing, uh, according to the two gentlemen who had been there to witness it. So uh, I just wanted to make folks aware of that. But uh, if you want to read anything about it, it's up on the blog now. Uh, but it's, uh, it's an interesting photograph. I think it's a, one of the better ones I've seen. How about you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I wish I was a photographic analyst so I could give more of a educated response on it. It's certainly interesting. Um, my first thought was, mm, it's got kind of a pointy bottom, pointy top, which I don't normally see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, looks, it looks very level. That's kind of unusual. There's a few things that make me wonder about it. I showed it to a few contactees, uh, including Dolly. Saffron of my latest book, Symmetry. She's like, ah, I'm not so sure about this one. So well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I know there's some involvement with uh, with the U.S. government on this to some degree from what I heard. But uh, I, I tend to believe it may be actually man-made. Who knows? Yeah, uh, that was kind of my first thought. Yeah. But, but I don't know. You know, I really couldn't tell you for sure. It's got a weird uh, texture to it. You know, a lot of the UFOs are much more silverish or shiny or glowing. Mm -hmm. And on the right side of it, what is that? I mean, it almost looks like... Like a propeller, kind of. It's just, it, it's very weird on that side, yeah. <laughs> I was looking at that. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't spinning or anything. And from It was just hovering, uh, basically still hovering. And there, there wasn't any sound coming from it until later on when it when it ascended into the sky and disappeared. So uh, I don't know. Yeah, what I would like is a nice long witness statement, because um, these days photographs are just not that useful unless you have someone who's willing to stand behind them, you know, sign an affidavit. If there's multiple eyewitnesses, we need more information, I think, to really make a good judgment on this. Yeah. Uh, but I know there are a lot of great photographs out there um, that are being withheld by all our governments across the planet, uh, which is quite a shame. There was yeah, a recent, it is. The recent yeah. congressional hearings where they showed a little, looks almost like a balloon. Uh, and they're kind of saying this is some of the best evidence that we have. And I'm like, that's just not, that's flat out not true. They've got gun camera footage. There's supposedly a film at Edwards Air Force Base where a craft landed. So astronaut Gordon Cooper developed the film. He saw it. I'd like to see that. Right. Well, maybe one day, I don't know. You know, the whole classified process uh, as far as with UFOs and, you know, quite frankly, I don't even know how much of Project Blue Book is, is still under lock and key. Um, I don't know. Project signed that as well. So. Yeah, Project Blue Book. Don't get me started. <laughs> what a no, well, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. My my old man used to uh, he used to work down in Huntsville, 
when he was at the Air Force. And, uh, yeah, he, you know, he was kind of like tight-lipped about a lot of that stuff. But, uh, you know, of course, NASA used to be located there back in back in the 50s. And, uh, and when Project Blue Book started, but I don't know. He, he just, he, he really, he really never came forward with much of the information. Yeah. Project Blue Book does have some good cases. I mean, there was yeah. quite a few. They never were able to identify. I think the only one involving humanoids was the Socorro landing in New Mexico mm -hmm. with Lani Zamora. Uh, but it's my understanding that the very best cases bypassed Blue Book and went straight to the Air Technical Intelligence Command. Mm-hmm. And uh, they really, well, according to Hynek and lots of Blue Book insiders and those who've studied it, uh, they really put a big effort on dismissing cases that looked unknown and cases that were obviously prosaic, you know, Venus or a balloon, got a lot of attention. Uh, I mean, there was a really good example that Hynek talked about of a landing in Nevada where it was this, this guy was a great witness. He had just finished flight school in the Army, and uh, or the Air Force, rather. And they spent all their time trying to dis, you know, figure out if he was mentally unbalanced and this sort of thing, instead of focusing on what he actually saw. It was a whitewash. Yeah. Well, of course, you've written about a lot of different cases. So hopefully you brought some to tell us tonight. I, I did, yeah. This is the cover of my latest book, Symmetry. I'm super excited about it. You know, I've interviewed a lot of people who've had contact, and this is the story of Dolly Safran, a lifelong contactee who does not need hypnosis to re remember her encounters, like many people do, mm -hmm. has no fear of her encounters, and has had literally, I mean, since she was, gosh, 10 months old, all the way to the current day, has had encounters, been taken on board. It's easily the most extensive case of contact I've ever had the privilege of researching. Uh, as far as abductees and such, what? And I, 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 not going back too far, but more recently, what what type of scenarios are are more prevalent now, as opposed to? being taken aboard a ship and, you know, being put on a table and this and this and that. I mean, has the whole, have the whole uh, aspect of these, these encounters changed much over the years? I mean, that you've noticed? Um, not a whole lot. I think from very early on, the pattern of contact was fairly well established. Uh, I think it was, uh, sir, or what's his name? Tom, Thomas Bullard. Uh, was the first to really analyze some 300 cases. And uh, he said, basically, it follows the same pattern. A person is usually, when they're taken on board, physically examined. That's the most common thing people report. That's certainly true in my files. Mm -hmm. uh, so we see a lot of that, uh, the physical exam. But beyond that, he talked about how people are given a tour of the craft. That's certainly quite common. People are taken to perhaps the engine room and the ETs will explain, you know, this is how we operate the craft. It's usually along the lines of electromagnetism, that sort of things, the magnetic fields of our planet. Um, equally common is people being taken up to the control room, uh, you know, the helm, 
certainly Dolly Saffron described that in detail with her experiences. And uh, beyond that, there's people are taken to the observation deck, I guess you'd call it. Um, the craft will turn transparent. This is very common. They'll show you the moon, they'll show you, you know, Saturn or Starfield or Earth down below. Mm -hmm. So these are the sort of events that people experience over and over and over again. At some point, they will have a little conversation with you, which if you're not like paralyzed in fear, like, hey, just let me go. Um, they will yeah. talk about, you know, often spirituality in, in some way, uh, healing perhaps, or past lives, or out-of-body travel, or this sort of thing. So yeah, it follows a fairly set pattern, which we've seen since really the late early 1950s all the way to the present day what do you think their objective is or what maybe their agenda, agenda if you want to call it that why are they abducting humans and, and why you know what's the reason behind it what do you, i mean what are your thoughts on that yeah i mean i think researchers have a pretty good handle on why they're here and what their agenda is uh, and what I found out certainly matches up with, you know, researchers like Barbara Lamb or John Mack and Edith Fiore. And, you know, there's a whole host of researchers out there. It's pretty clear one of their agendas is gathering genetic material. Mm -hmm. They follow family lines. They've been taking genetic material from both men and women for quite some time. And uh, the agenda behind that is apparently to create what we would think of as hybrid children. Uh, I don't like to call it half alien, half human, because the more I research this, it's clear that we're very much genetically related to ETs. Mm -hmm. um, the greys essentially, from what the contactees are telling me, share the same sort of genetic material. The very common message is we are, you know, you are us, we are you, we are one. Uh, I hear that all the time. So that is a main agenda for sure. Another agenda is to warn us about our pathway towards self-destruction. And this is super common. I don't care if you're talking about the contactee era of the 1950s with George Adamski and Truman Bethram and Howard Menger and all those guys, Daniel Fry, they're warning people about nuclear proliferation. They're warning people about pollution about our warlike ways, about greed and corruption, about destruction of the environment. This is coming from greys, it's coming from human-looking ETs, it's coming from praying mantis, uh, strange humanoids of all types. This is the main message. So that's an agenda. Uh, that's often why they take people down to the engine room. They're like, why do you use fossil fuels? That's not how we do it. <laughs> There are other energy sources out there. Um, I he I've heard this many times. I did a whole study of people who've actually gotten pretty clear instructions and tried to build energy-free motors uh, and this sort of thing. So that's absolutely an agenda. And I think in addition to that, another major agenda is to wake us up to our own psychic abilities. Uh, and I've heard this gosh, three or four times the same exact words. This is our gift to you for what you have given to us. And they will awaken a person up spiritually. They will 
allow you know teach them how to do perhaps astral travel hands-on healing i recently was like gosh i'm i found like four or five contactees who physically levitated mm -hmm. and so i started looking into it I'm, that happened to Stephen Greer, to Whitley Strieber. Uh, Ray Hernandez has a case. Uh, I talked to another guy, a contactee. I mentioned, I'm like, I don't suppose you've ever levitated. <laughs> like, yes, as a matter of fact, I did. And, and I mentioned that to Dolly Saffron, subject of my latest book, just kind of on a whim, because she hadn't offered this information. A lot of the times, contactees are a bit tight-lipped about the stranger aspects of contact. Uh, and she's had a levitation, but this just goes to point towards how very much the ETs are trying to wake us up to our abilities of telepathy, past life recall, all of these things that we call superhuman or supernatural abilities, which aren't, they're not supernatural, they're totally natural, just we've been dumbed down and drugged up and enslaved and told, <laughs> distracted, and there's a whole fear agenda in the media and for that matter, our governments or the one percenters, the you know, the food and drug what I call them, <laughs> military industrial complex, the people behind the cover up, they know who they are. Uh, they are putting forth a false alien threat narrative. They're not here to take over or hurt us. Uh, I don't have any good evidence of that. It can be very scary to be taken on board. I am not going to tell people you know that your experience was positive when they're you know having nightmares and PTSD and didn't like it at all but the fact is I have pretty much zero cases of what I would call sadistic behavior or intentional infliction of pain or torture uh, it's not like we do to each other right. I mean, we, we kill people in large numbers daily they don't do that that's not their agenda they I mean any one who looks into the evidence for objectively for any period of time, uh, there's no evidence they're here to take us over. They've been around for millennia. They're not here to inflict pain or scare us or hurt us. It's the opposite. Their agendas are basically to heal, to guide, to teach, <clears throat> and to wake us up to who we are and what we're doing to our planet. Do you think the powers that be here on Earth understand that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think they do. I think to them, it is an alien threat. It's okay. a threat a threat to their power structure. Sure. It's a, it's a threat to their control over the masses. It's a threat to the fact that if everyone woke up and realized, wow, we have friends out there, you know, we don't need to live the way we're living, enslaved and so forth. Uh, yeah, they know all about this. I think they know far more than the average person. They've been mm. studying. I mean, they have access to the hardware. They have the craft. They have the bodies. I think they know exactly what's going on. But from a military standpoint, when you have these things you know, shutting down our nuclear weapons, such as Malmstrom incident, just one, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I'm sure you've heard of, mm -hmm. uh, this is, from a military standpoint, concerning to say the least for them but you know our these it, the idea of using nuclear weapons to fight is so ludicrous it would kill everybody on this planet 
So this is not a threat. This is them trying to say, what are you doing? It's a threat to, yeah, the military industrial complex, the secret government who is unable to control this phenomena, unable to stop them from landing, unable to stop them from contacting people and trying to wake them up. So in that perspective, <laughs> uh, I can see why they're upset about it and covering it up because it will take away their money and power and control. And that's all they want. Well, so, go ahead, oh. go ahead, burn it. <laughs> so I have a question for you, Preston. Are you yeah. seeing more people who are having conscious experiences versus screen memories or is, or are they equal? Oof. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a difficult question to answer. Um, because okay. I, I would say that people who have missing time as a general rule do have conscious memories of you know, waking up and see grades or what have you in their bedroom. Mm -hmm. And then we'll have missing time and don't perhaps remember being taken on board, uh, but we'll sort of have dream recall or flashbacks or screen memories. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think there is definitely an increase in people's waking up to the fact that they are having contact for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that this subject is going mainstream. People right. are now hearing it on the news. I mean, Congress is talking about it. And the Pentagon said, oh gosh, you know, this is there's something to this. I think that was the best result of this whole quote. I'll put that in huge air quotes. <laughs> disclosure uh, right. was that it, you know, it started to get some people to question. And another factor that we have going on here is contact is widespread. It is not nearly as rare as you might think. You're much more likely to be taken on board than say struck by lightning or die of bee sting or bit by a shark or <laughs> murdered. It's about one in 40 perhaps. This mm -hmm. is a, a quote by Jalen Hynek. Uh, I did a whole survey of all the researchers when I heard that quote. Cause I'm like, no way. <laughs> One, are you kidding me? One in 40? I know someone. I would know someone who's been taken on board. Yeah. And it got me to ask everyone. And sure enough, I, I knew like four or five people in my little circle of family, friends, and coworkers. And it was just a year later, the Roper Polling Organization uh, did a poll on this and found one in 50. So this is another reason why I think people are becoming far more conscious of what's going on. We know what the signs of contact are now. Mm -hmm. If you've had a close, close up UFO sighting, that is a huge red flag. I mean, within a couple of hundred feet, a thousand feet, if you had multiple sightings, if you've had unexplained scars on your body, uh, if you've had, you know, orbs of light, if you suffer from fear of intruders and are putting locks on your door and you have tinnitus if, I mean, there's a whole list of little things that you can look towards pointing towards contact and these are becoming more well known so people are starting to really question things like well gosh you know i had things coming into my room when i was a little child that's another big red flag so yeah bernadette i think yes people are really beginning to wake up and once you start waking up to contact and considering it that's when you start having not so much missing time but a fully conscious experience Mm -hmm. that's very fascinating yeah 
do you think that the government or the military or whoever on this planet or our our earth plane do you think they like keeping it uh the whole alien ufo subject on a conspiratorial level oof i sure mm, i wish i knew for sure um from what i understand you know this is not really my area of expertise i'm usually focused on contactees mm -hmm. but i try to follow all of this because boy this subject has layers and layers and rabbit holes uh there's no doubt there's a cover-up mm -hmm. i'll say that flat off the bat i mean it's demonstrable it's provable this is not speculation and i think that this is a policy they adopted from the very beginning and uh because they were so freaked out with incidents like roswell and the aztec crash and the battle of la and the cape girardeau crash retrieval incident that was like 1942 or something 41. Mm -hmm. uh so from the beginning they were covering this up and i think that they really wanted to because they didn't understand it uh and they couldn't quite you know fathom what we were dealing with here uh, but as time went on I, it's my understanding a lot of the people within the cover-up community people who are involved in this wanted to release it and that there's something of a you know push-pull a little bit of a tug of war between the old guard and the new guard uh the people who are you know slowly dying off now <laughs> um are the ones who want to keep it secret uh, we have an enormous number of whistleblowers yeah. who have worked on, within this community uh who are coming forward and saying listen i cannot go to my grave knowing this information is being covered up so i think there's a lot of them who are very unhappy with how this subject is being treated mm -hmm. and these are people with high, high levels of you know in the military so we're talking you know look at colonel corso of uh, the day after roswell mm -hmm. he's just one example of quite literally thousands I mean, there are many many hundreds for sure but i think it's closer to thousands of people who are like i'm done uh, i talked to a guy myself who actually contacted me on his deathbed in a hospital mm -hmm. who was a civilian contractor and had a job at Edwards Air Force Base. And boy, did my ears perk up when he said Edwards. Because if you know this subject, you know about the 1954 meeting at Edwards with Eisenhower and the ETs, mm -hmm. the 1965 incident where the UFOs came down over Edwards and were caught on raid, radar and buzzed that base all night long. I mean, there's a hundred cases over Edwards. And in a nutshell, this guy was on an employment job at Edwards and was walking across the tarmac there with his employer when he passed a hangar and heard this low buzzing noise and looks in the open window and there's a ufo floating levitating it says it was the size of a small sports car perfectly silver saucer shaped turns to his employer and says what the heck is that and his employer puts his finger over his lips and says Shh, no i can't talk about it and became very angry when he persisted and that's where it remained for over a year until his, the job was done. A year went by and the same employer called him back, said, it's an emergency. I need you for a job right now. Can you please, please do it? And the guy I interviewed said, no, I'm not doing it unless you told me what we tell me what we saw that day last year 
in that hangar. And his employer said, okay, I'll tell you, but you know, after they got drunk together, <laughs> <that'd be great. laughs> he says, okay, I'll tell you, but you can't tell anybody. And he said that what you saw was not a UFO. It was not an alien spacecraft. It was reverse engineered from extraterrestrial technology. It was a craft that used the concept of, or a device like counter-rotating magnetic fields, which created a magnetic field outside the craft, which would propel it in the desired direction. So that's just one cover-up story. I talked to a guy who was involved in the Malmstrom incident. He heard it on TV. He's like, oh, I guess I can talk now. Mm -hmm. uh, he's also very elderly, Mel Hansen. So a lot of mm -hmm. these guys are you know, literally on their way out. So I'm not taking this to my grave. People need to know. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people within the cover-up who are not happy. Yeah. Do, you, uh, do you get frustrated by some of the, and I talk about conspiratorial um, um, parts of ufology and aliens and such, and uh, like people who claim to be part or super soldiers or part of the secret space program and that type of thing. Does it frustrate you as a researcher and investigator that this type of, um, and I think a lot of it's nonsense, but does it does it frustrate you when you hear a lot of this that just is so much is so much conjecture and nothing that can be proved oh to no end yeah um it's very frustrating if you go on you know facebook and on these facebook groups there's an enormous amount of cgi and look look, look there's an alien running across mars i'm like wait a second yeah you cannot be a super soldier on mars if you know anything about science study mars you'll see it has no magnetic field you cannot live there it's impossible you will be fried by gamma radiation. Uh, so, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not going to name names, but there's some researchers and contactees out there. I'm like, what are you talking about? Where's the evidence? This is, I have never heard anything like this mm -hmm. uh, from the people I'm talking to. Uh, I don't know. I can't say that there's not something to some of this because I know we are flying some of these craft around. It's clear mm -hmm. we have reverse engineered some of this. The TR-3B is pretty much <laughs> accepted within the UFO community that we have some of this technology and are flying it around. So that's very concerning. And remember Gary McKinnon? Um, he's the guy from England, I think, who right. hacked into NASA. That I thought was a, probably legit. Uh, I can't say for sure, but he found some files which point towards you know, government programs with this. Right. So I think... I mean, it's just a logical extension that our government would be pursuing these avenues intently and intensely. So I'm sure there's something to it, but we know because there have been whistleblowers who've come out and said it, whether it's William Moore or Richard Doty or who, what have you, who have fed disinformation and misinformation to UFO researchers mm -hmm. flat out. Mm -hmm. there, there is a strong campaign. You got to remember, our secret government has unlimited funds. They are spending our tax dollars <laughs> and have an enormous amount of time, money, and effort to debunk legitimate cases, to tell all witnesses you are either 
hoaxing, hallucinating, or misperceiving uh, to muddy the waters in every single way they can. This mm -hmm. is serious stuff. It, you know, Leonard Stringfield, the crash retrieval researcher, mm -hmm. he's talked to a number of people who are like right there when these <clears> things <throat> come down. And they, some of them who have gone forward have lost their lives. This is serious stuff. This cover-up mm -hmm. is not a joke. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, we have lost a lot of researchers over the years, absolutely under nefarious situations. Uh, yeah, people talk about James Forrestal. Did he really yeah. jump out of that window, or was he pushed? Right, um, exactly. It's pretty upsetting. It's very frustrating, and I'm very upset with how our government and governments across the world are handling the UFO situation. Uh, it's certainly not, it's against our constitution here in the U.S. Absolutely. Uh, they have no right to withhold this information, this technology. Uh, we don't need oil anymore. And they're withholding it for money and power and control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a million reasons behind the cover-up. But ultimately, I think that's what it comes down to, money and power and control. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, so upsetting because, uh, I mean, we could solve the so-called so energy crisis, which is manufactured. Uh, the environmental crisis does not need to exist. The economic crisis is another manufactured thing. There's enough for everybody. There truly is. Yeah. And to know that like 98% of the wealth, 99% is owned by 1% of the population, that makes zero sense. Um, I mean, this is a situation that's untenable. And I think that's the reason behind widespread contact is because ETs are like, you humans are crazy. Wake up. Elect world leaders that will actually lead. It's, oh, I love this photo. Robert Rinker. I know about this one. <laughs> oh, there's, there's a lot of good good photographs out there this is one i believe is true legit interesting yeah um getting on personal side have you ever had an encounter now i know you you, you state that your family has but have you ever had an encounter? yeah when i first found out ufos were real the first thing i did was like hmm, have i ever had missing time <laughs> you know have i seen anything i started scouring my childhood mm -hmm. and there was one possible instance of missing time but it's too vague for me to really say but you know i got involved in this field in 86 really buckled down in 88 and uh i'm like you know what this is driving me nutty i need to go out there and see one i this is crazy if all these people are seeing one i want to see one myself so i went out in the fields at night Whenever anyone said they saw one, I'm like, can I come over? <laughs> can I camp outside your house? You know, I'll be in the backyard. I won't bother you. Uh, and I started to have sightings. Uh, 1992 was my big year. And our, I think the real first major encounter was missing time, for sure. I was driving home. This is July 1992. I'll never forget it. Uh, and I just left my brother's house. My brother had seen a UFO. My sister-in-law who saw aliens. <laughs> Uh, and it's literally like three minutes from the house. This is in Woodland Hills, California. And this orb 
dropped on out of the sky. My first thought, ah, oh, it's a bird. But I'm like, gosh, it's late at night and it's glowing. I'm like, well, it's a firecracker. Because I'm thinking, well, it's you know, late July. But it wasn't a firecracker. This thing dropped down in front of my windshield. It was like a golf ball, a little bigger. And about a way, part of the way as I am from the computer now and hovered there and looked at me <laughs> and kind of went back and forth, back and forth and shot straight up. And the weirdest thing is I completely forgot it. I did not remember the sighting. I don't remember driving home. I remember nothing. Uh, so I, a few months later, remembered it. Uh, I think I had missing time. I'm pretty darn sure of it because I would have turned around. But that's when I had another sighting a few months later, again with my brother Mark and his wife Christy up in Crater Lake, where we blinked a flashlight at this object and it blinked back twice. We're it's crazy. I joined CSETI a month later with Stephen Greer. We went out that night and had a, a sighting. I could not believe it. And had a number of sightings that year. Uh, and it just kind of snowballed from there. So yeah, I've definitely had some crazy close-up encounters. So do you think that <clears throat> there was something that made it that year for you to have all those experiences? Like, in all your research, how do you think that they pick who they're going to abduct or who they're going to let see them? Yeah, that drove me crazy for a while. And I, at some point after I had a big enough database, I'm like, let's look. Let's see if I can find any patterns. Because it was evenly divided between men and women. It was not anything to do with religion or race. Not, well, not race. Let me, let me say ancestry because we're all one race. Okay. Uh, and it's not, you know, whether you're white or black or Asian or what have you, uh, Latino and so forth. What mm -hmm. was an education? It's not blood type. I started asking, are you RH negative? No. Yes. You know, some are, don't know their blood type. I couldn't find any darn patterns for the longest time. Mm -hmm. uh, it became pretty clear, I should say, from the outset that if you have a uh, contact, like taken on board, your parents probably have or an aunt or an uncle or a grandmother. So that is a pattern. It, this follows family lines. And there are researchers who have cases stretching back multiple generations, three, four, five, or more. So that is absolutely a pattern. Another pattern is like, who are they contacting? People who are, for lack of a better word, psychic. Because very early on, I started I learned interview techniques. I wasn't that good in the beginning. You know, I just started asking very specific questions. I learned to leave it open and just let them talk. And I'd say, you know, have you experienced anything strange? And they'd start talking from UFOs, and many of them have had near-death experiences, astral travel, clairvoyance, precognition. Uh, this is part of this. As a general rule, contactees have a higher psychic awareness. It's not unusual for them to be mediums. It's not unusual for them to experience an entire range of psychic phenomena. So that's a pattern. And another pattern, I really focused on UFO healing cases at one point. That was my first mm -hmm. book. I found 100 cases. I couldn't believe it. Like, why is no one talking about this? And I recently put out another book, The Healing Power of UFOs, because I have now like 300 documented cases. I'm like, why are these people being healed? Why not me? You know, I could use a healing. 
I know a lot of people out there have asked me, you know, why, am, why, why aren't they healing me? So I started looking at these cases and I found half of the people who are being healed are generational contactees. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not where you live. The cases stretch back a hundred years. Uh, what I found was shocking, actually. I remember I was interviewing this lady from Norway. She had her back healed and of you know chronic back pain from an injury. And I'm like, so do you have a history of contact? She's like, no, um, I'd never seen a UFO. She had grays come into her bedroom, flip her around like a rag doll, put an instrument on her back, heal her and walk out. So it scared the living daylights out of her. They wouldn't answer any questions or anything, just healed her. She's like, why me? I'm like, mm, you know, well, have you had any other unusual experiences? She had a few paranormal, but nothing off the charts. And I'm like, well, what do you do for a living? <laughs> She's like, well, I'm an artist. You know, I'm a graphic artist. I'm retired now. Please don't use my name because I'm actually really well known in my country, in my area, Norway, as a human rights activist and animal rights. And that instantly rang a bell because I started like oh, my, like, oh my gosh, that's like Michael Carter, who's pretty well known in this field. He fights against racism. He was healed of a blood clot in his leg. I thought, oh my gosh, John Hunter Gray, he had a healing. He's an award-winning civil rights activist. I'm like, wait, Dr. X, the case from Jacques Vallée, he's a doctor. Mm -hmm. And so I started I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I found something here. <laughs> I started looking at all my cases, and yes, they are doctors, they're artists, they're musicians, they're teachers, they are human rights activists, they're animal rights activists, they're environmentalists. They are people who are doing good work for humanity in some capacity. Police officers. It's kind of a loose pattern, uh, but yeah, it absolutely. I, I see it now that I know what to look for. I'm like, this yeah. is. These and it goes beyond healing. Uh, so you see an enormous number of musicians who have had contact: Miley Cyrus, Demi Lovato, John Lennon, Sammy Hagar, Sting. Uh, I mean, go, the list is amazing. The Moody Blues—it's crazy. Do you um, do you think that there's an ancestral DNA connection as to why this does? continue on with families i mean is there specific and I, I don't know if you have any evidence of certain dna or certain traits but do you think there is a possibility that's what's going on yeah i started to focus on that a little bit because you know we can do what's that ancestry ancestry.com things mm -hmm. like this uh and some some of the contactees have had their genetic charts done mm -hmm. and it's really interesting because those who have says i don't know if you realize this but you know i've got like every i've got all genetic lines in me I, you know, asian you know south pacific black uh native american another others will often say you know my family goes back to the original lines I've had a number of people that are directly connected to world leaders presidents mm -hmm. royalty one guy don anderson from utah had his genetic chart done he says, I suffer from a very rare condition. Gosh, what's it called? Di, I forget the actual term, but almost all his genetics comes from his dad, uh, which is very strange and very unusual. And yet 
there are a number of cases like this in the literature. There's a lot of cases of twins who have contact. Mm -hmm. So there is a genetic focus here. And I think what the ETs are, I think the case that really kind of underlined this for me comes from Jim Law from Gainesville, Florida, a contactee who's not very well known, but he's gone public and done a couple of lectures here and there. Uh, he has had contact his whole life. The grays came in. He's pretty much over the fear at this point. He's like, you're going to take me, heal my hernia. And they're like, oh, we know of this condition, which you speak, and we will repair it. It's almost a direct quote. Um, slightly paraphrased, but that's what they told him. <laughs> and he's like, why are you contacting me? And they said, we are interested in your genetic potential to live a long time. And that really fascinated him and me for that matter, but him because his grandfather is 106 and still kicking. And he's got many long lived relatives. So this points towards ETs doing what John Mack called upgrades. And we see mm -hmm. this in case after case. I've talked to a number of contactees who go to the doctor and like, the doctor told me I have lungs of a teenager and I'm 80. And some of them are very long lived and mm -hmm. enjoy excellent health and do, don't get colds and don't you know, suffer from all the you know, diseases. I'm, this is not completely universal or without exception, certainly. But there are enough cases where I think they are absolutely following genetic lines of people who are, have tendencies to, you know, help humanity, you know, who are kind of shakers and doers in society, people who are profoundly psychic, people who have good, healthy genes. So they're really trying to save the best genetic stock of humanity because we are our magnetic fields are in trouble right now. <laughs> if you look at the whole uh, CMEs, coronal mass ejections and the weakening of our magnetic field of our planet, um, we're having some real problems. Uh, so this could be one of the reasons why they're here in such large numbers is to just make sure that they're saving the best of our genes. I think that is definitely the main agenda behind the collection of genetic material and the following of certain family lines. Um, Nancy Malcolm asked uh, an interesting question that's tied to this. Is there a tie to royal blood in the ETs? Yeah, I think there possibly is. Um, I think that this is one of the reasons we see with royal families so obsessed with keeping their genetic lines pure because they believe that somewhere down the line this is they're directly related to all this to the ets and yeah i have had a number of contactees my sister-in-law found out that she is apparently it's related to some royalty in uh to the philippines and I'm like, wow, you're a Filipino princess. <laughs> She's like, no, shut up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I do see this in contactees. Uh, so I am not quite sure what to make of it because contact is widespread. But the fact is, if you look at the human race in general, we are terrifically inbred. <laughs> uh, scientists have realized that we came from a very small group of people, genetic stock. So it's kind of, I mean, to some extent, we, 
we are all very much related to each other. So I don't want to make too much of it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's definitely some sort of connection there. We uh, we got another question from Michael Kennedy. Um, do you think, and this is directed directly to you, uh, uh, Preston, uh, do you think the work of Jeremy Corbell and um, uh, George Knapp in the aspect of non-disclosure released whistleblowers uh, will will actually break open government disclosure? Uh, yeah, huge shout out to Michael. Hi, Michael. Um, gosh, I hope so. I am a bit jaded, to be honest, because I've been in this field for some 35 years. Well, you and me both. I'm, I'm you know, I, <laughs> I'm one of those people that, you know, it's just like, I believe it when I see it. Yeah, but we have yeah. had steps towards disclosure. That was earth shaking. I'm like, wow, they actually use the word extraterrestrial. I couldn't believe it. You could tell it hurt them to say it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they won't, you know, they're like, eh, maybe it's Russian technology. Maybe it's our technology. I'm like, wait, aren't you the head of the Defense Department? You should know if it's us. Uh, so I think what we're looking at is a situation where the cover up has been a disastrous failure. It really has. It hasn't worked. It's an open conspiracy. Most people, the majority of Americans, believe our government is hiding UFO information. Mm -hmm. And they are. It's demonstrable. We know this because of the Freedom of Information Act. And with the number of whistleblowers coming out, and it's impossible to cover this up anymore. And that is, I think, the main driver behind the disclosure movement. I highly doubt our secret government is like, ah, let's do the right thing <laughs> and disclose yeah. doing it for their benefit, not ours. They're doing I, it. I agree. I think there's a limitation as to where they're going to come forward on this stuff. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get full disclosure voluntarily. I'll underline that from our governments. I think it could happen in a major event where there is someone who has an ethical bone in their body just as I'm done. <laughs> We need a sitting world leader to say, you know, this is real. Uh, and we don't have that. Often, you know, they'll say it after they're out of office, and that's not so useful. I mean, it helps, but at some point, yeah, I think disclosure will happen. And I think the people who are working hard on this are heroes. And uh, the progress we're making is awesome. But I don't think we're going to get the truth ever. They've lied. They're lied. That recent congressional hearing was filled with lies. Mm -hmm. Any one of those senators that picked up one single UFO book, they would have asked much better questions. Absolutely. Uh, I was thinking I was thinking the exact same thing when I was watching. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no way these guys have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. When they, they asked, have we ever shot at these? And uh, t what was his name? Daly and Moultrie, the two top defense guys. But no, real quick. I'm like, ooh, what about the Battle of L.A.? <laughs> what about 1952, where there's hundreds of cases where we shot at them and lost pilots? Uh, hmm. well, that was a flat-out lie. Have you ever heard of Malmstrom? They're like, well, no, we've got no reporting on that. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> I mean, on the other side, they might not think people are ready either. They might fear panic and, you know, just everything collapsing, if you think about it. Because they want to control everything. 
And if they give disclosure, what control does the government have then? Yeah, I personally don't think that society would collapse. Yeah, there's going to be some really upset people. You know, if you're an ultra skeptic, and I was, by the way, <laughs> it hurt me mentally. I mean, this was not an easy transition period, finding out UFOs were real. I was upset. I felt scandalized. Yeah, it's going to upset people. If you're a fundamentalist religious, if you believe this is demonic, um, this is going to be hard for you. But we've dealt with, you know, the nuclear threat. We've dealt with pandemics. We've dealt with famines. We've dealt with tsunamis. And I mean, we could easily handle this. I don't think people would panic. I think, I know I'm ready. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And one thing people often point to is like, oh, what about the Orson Welles, you know, Mm -hmm. broadcast where people did panic? Mm -hmm. Hold on a second. That was a radio program. That was a horror movie. It was very Mm -hmm. well done. It was designed to cause fear. Uh, no, I don't think that's how people would react at all. I, th- I think we're ready, and I don't think that the government thinks we would panic. I think they know we would embrace it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's their fear. Yeah, but, you know, if, if too many people start embracing it, then more questions start to develop. And yeah. then I think they're going to be more afraid that what they're going to have to go beyond what they're willing to tell us. Exactly. You know, it's funny that congressional hearing it's all about sightings look we have 144 sightings look now it's over over 400 I'm like sightings what about landings you know the i know of 50 landing trace cases right off the bat with actual hard evidence you're not studying those what about betty and barney hill travis welton charlie hickson calvin parker betty andreason whitley streeter <laughs> um, <laughs> mona stafford I, we can go on and on with the you know number of contactees, Raymond Moody, or not Raymond Moody, uh, Charles Moody. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are cases which are being completely ignored. Why? They opened up a can of worms. So their questions are going to start being asked about not only landings and direct contact, but let's face it, crash retrievals. Mm-hmm. They were they were asked about Roswell. Or they offered it actually. They're like, oh, I know about the myth of Roswell, mm. the stories. And they just completely like joked their way through it. I'm like, that's no joke. There's no. three, 400 witnesses. There's 100 books on that case. Did you know that? <laughs> 100. <laughs> I've got like 10 of them. I'm like, that's it. I think I, ugh. but yeah, there's three, 400, 500 witnesses. It's a good case that will not go away. And it's one of hundreds of cases of crash retrievals. It's not just Roswell. There's, oh, there's a lot of them out there. Oh, Paradise Valley crash, the Kecksburg crash. Well, I mentioned Cape Girardeau. Uh, there's a lot of them. Yeah, there's no shortage of uh, reports that I'm getting. I mean, and, you know, of course, we're going to get a little bizarre sometimes. But, you know, when you start going over them, you got to wonder, I mean, how much of this is really true? How much do they believe it's true? Or, uh, you know, but there's definitely something going on. And um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess it's going to it's going to come down to. Uh, and, and like I had in my book, alien disclosure is basically we're going to have start believing experiencers 
and and looking deeply more deeply into what they they've gone through uh, and just not worry what everybody everybody else thinks about it yeah it's infuriates me when people says there's no evidence for ets yeah well wait a second you know going beyond the photographs the films the radar returns the landing trace cases and the medical evidence of injuries and healings <laughs> Let's look at Absolutely. some of the implant removal cases, mm -hmm. you know, with the research of Dr. Roger Lear and others. Uh, this is smoking gun evidence. I mean, how mm -hmm. much evidence do you need? It's ridiculous. Um, the case that investigated by uh, Ray Fowler, the Allagash incident, the Allagash mm -hmm. war with, you know, Jim and John Wiener and uh, the other two guys, four people taken at once. That's a yeah. multi-witness multi case. Uh, the evidence is there. Yeah, it's, it is there. It is there. I mean, you know, I don't mind anecdotal evidence. Uh, you know, it, it, that's always the complaint you get. Well, if they don't see it, it's not there. Or they don't have a photograph, it's not there. Well, you know, you can just tell by the way people explain or describe what they've gone through that, if you've been doing this for any amount of time, you understand what they're telling you is true, or at least they believe it's true. Uh, but it's nothing that they imagine. Right. If, if there's a skeptic out there listening, and I doubt there is, because <laughs> most people who would tune into this, you know, are yeah. finally looking. But I'm sure there are skeptics, right? I yeah. dare you. My challenge to a skeptic is pick up a UFO book. Actually, look at the evidence. I dare you to ask everyone in your family, your friends and your coworkers, dollars to donuts, you have a contact D that you know. Uh, the evidence uh, is, you know, it's amazed me is when I started talking to people. I remember the first one that like, just kind of knocked me over in my family was my sister-in-law. who started to describe a gray ET. And this was well before, you know, Bud Hopkins books came out. And she's, um, she started describing this typical gray like she says, you know, pale skin, I'm in a, in a jumpsuit and all those, you know, the details we now know so well. And of course she did. She described it to a T. I'm like, can you draw it for me? <laughs> she drew a gray. Uh, and now, you know, having interviewed hundreds of people, there's a lot of little details. I remember I talked to a Navy medic, Kevin Kamen. And I asked him, you know, he was taken on board. He's up praying mantis type ETs. I'm like, how big was the room you were in? And it kind of gave me this look, like, how am I going to explain this to him? <laughs> he says, I don't know how to tell you this, but the room changed size. And I'm like, oh, really? Because this is something I've heard. This is mm -hmm. not super. Well, back then it wasn't well known. And I think still, even to this day, it's not that well known. Uh, he said the room actually expanded in size at one point. I talked to one guy. He uh, actually asked the ET, he's like, how big is this thing? <laughs> And he says, this was the only time the gray laughed. It laughed and he said, the gray told him, it's as big as we need it to be. <laughs> uh, and there's the case of uh, Carl Higdon, the hunter from Wyoming, uh -huh. really famous case. He comes upon a landed UFO and a humanoid who takes him on board. The UFO he saw was about 10, 20 feet across. He goes inside, it's <clears throat> huge. It's much bigger on the inside than the outside. That's exactly what Charles Moody, 
an Air Force officer said, another great witness. These are not slouches who are seeing this stuff. Leonard Stringfield, the crash retrieval guy, had a case where a guy was taken to photograph a UFO and he filmed it, photographed it from the outside. He's a photographic expert. He said it was 30 feet across, 20 to 30 feet across. He said, okay, we'd like you to go inside and photograph it. And he walked inside and his, he immediately stepped outside to take another look because he said it was bigger than a gymnasium on the inside. You could not throw a rock and hit the other wall. Immediately went out and made sure that, yeah, it's 30 feet across and 100 feet wide inside. Mm -hmm. So this is these are some of the details you hear as a UFO researcher. And there's yeah. a lot of them that absolutely clinch it. There's no way people could know this. A very common detail people will say is, uh, I'm like, was it, you know, well lit inside? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, where's the light? You know, what, did you, what, what kind of light? And like, I don't even know how to tell you this, but there was no actual light. There was no lamp. It was just completely lit up inside, coming from nowhere. And people who are unfamiliar with telepathy will say, you're going to think I'm crazy, but they were speaking in my head. <laughs> um, telepathy, it's universal almost with a contact. There's an enormous number of details that people could no way know. They're living on different parts of the world. They, as a rule, a lot of these contactees will not touch a UFO book. When I got in this field, there was maybe 20 books on the subject that you, know, you could get a hold of. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was not like it is today. Uh, so it's absolutely very good evidence in terms of corroboration. So Preston, uh, tell folks how they can get a hold of you and where they can get your books at. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that, Lon. Uh, I do have a website, prestondennett.weebly.com. I think if you just punch my name on the internet, it should take you there. But you can certainly contact me through my website and take a look at my books and excerpts and stuff. And uh, my books are available on Amazon and other online retailers. I'm on Facebook. You can message me if you want. I have a YouTube channel. I'm trying to put out my research for those who don't have the time to read. Uh, my books are on Audible. I'm trying to get you know the publishers to cooperate. So more and more are getting put on Audible. I'm on Instagram, Twitter. I'm trying to do more of the social media thing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, this is an important subject. I really think that the shows like you're doing are far more important than people realize. This is going to change the world and we are on the brink of a huge sea change in society. So. Well, Preston, I appreciate you coming on tonight and uh, don't be a stranger and we'd like to have you come back at some point and uh, you have a good evening. Thanks very much, Lon. Thanks, Bernadette. I really Thanks, appreciate Preston. it. <laughs> it was fun. Anytime. Bye. <laughs> Night. Bye. Now, if uh, you have a sighting or encounter report that you'd like to be considered for your personal report show or even post on Phantoms and Monsters, uh, feel free to forward to my email at lonstricker at phantomsandmonsters.com. Uh, if you have an unexplained encounter or sighting, feel free to contact me through the Phantoms and Monsters blog site. I want to again thank my guest, Preston Bennett, uh, for coming on this evening. And I thank Bernadette McDaniel for joining me tonight as my co-host. And thanks to each and all of you for watching and chatting. If you uh, made a super chat donation, it's truly appreciated. 
Your support is what makes all this possible. So please like, subscribe, and share, and leave a comment. So next Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, we will schedule another personal reports presentation. I'll have that posted this weekend. And then next Friday, I welcome back W.T. Watson, who will be talking about his new book, Canadian Monsters and Mysteries. Make sure you tune in for this interesting conversation and hope to see you in the chat. So until next week, stay healthy and have a safe and enjoyable weekend. Good night.